Hey, let's thank Cody and our worship team this morning, shall we? All right. There we go. Awesome time of worship this morning. You're in for a real treat as Yvonne is going to come in just a moment and share with us. Yvonne Devon is part of our church here at Hope and has been for a while now. Yvonne also serves as the overall director for our entire denomination of AVA, AVA's Advocacy for Victims of Abuse. And uh, what AVA does is it has a kind of regional coordinator folks all across the United States that work with churches and pastors to help raise awareness for victims of abuse, as well as giving resources and opportunities for training and insight and growth and help. In fact, next Saturday, that's really what's taking place here as we host that from 8.30 till noon. And I would just encourage you, you know, take that opportunity to be a part of that, to gain resources and be a part of what God's doing to minister to other folks. But uh, Yvonne's husband, Will, plays bass in our group, as well as serving as one of the elders at our church. They're very, very much at the heart of what we do here. So let's welcome Yvonne this morning, shall we? Let's do that. Well, good morning, everyone. We're getting close to noon, so I, by the time we leave, I guess I could say afternoon. <laughs> no, I'm not going to be here that long um, in terms of being up here. Okay. But I, I thank you today, Pastor Scott, for this opportunity to speak to the congregation about this topic that's really near and dear to my heart. Um, I said in the service earlier from my childhood, I have always loved hearing and reading stories. In fact, I was one of those kids that would be promised a whipping because I would fall asleep reading a book at night and leave the light on, and my father didn't want the electricity bill to be high. I wished I would have had that problem with my daughter. Um, she's not here, don't tell her that. Actually, uh, for many years, my church tradition was filled with oratory from not only the pulpit, but also from those who sat in the pews. In fact, um, most of our services had what we termed as testimonial service. And during this time, and this was a regular occurrence, it wasn't just where you have it once a year, it was every service. During that time, people would stand up spontaneously and tell their stories or give their testimonies about how they had been blessed through the week, how they might have survived a trial or how God had answered their prayers. And I think that that oral tradition not only influenced my faith, but it also helped to shape my sensitivities to the joys and the trials, the pain and the suffering and sorrows of others. Now I get it that not everybody is wired like I am, but and I underscore that word, but, as Christians, we are admonished to take on the likeness of, of Christ. In fact, in Scripture, there in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, we are told, Be ye therefore imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ has loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for 
an odor of a sweet smell. Now, I could preach on what it means to be a sacrifice, but I won't do that today. Because I know what it means to live sacrificially for him. But today, I've entitled my sermon, Moved with Compassion. As it's aligned with the Ava theme for next Saturday morning, where we will be drilling down on a topic entitled, Pain in Our Midst, Healing Roads and Healing Communities. I'm going to use this morning this topic and go into some specific encounters with two men that Jesus had. It was a leper and a paralyzed man that have impacted my imagination to talk about this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark 1 and the 40th verse, and then I'll be talking from Mark 2 um, shortly thereafter. But here's this passage of Scripture. It says, A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he says. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him, and he said these magical words, I am willing. And then he went on to say, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared, and the man was healed. And then if you go over into Mark in the second chapter, here's another encounter that Jesus has. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And if you'll move further down into that passage, the 10th verse, he says, But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so then he goes on and he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, he took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And I would um, presume that if that were to happen today, we would say the same. I have never seen anything like this happen before. I'd like to talk about these two men and the things that they had in common. First of all, both of them were absolutely unable to help themselves. There was nothing about them that said they could pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Both of them were in dire straits. They could not make it on their own. Both of them had their hopes dashed. And both were seen by society as less than. Both needed others in their lives. And both needed compassion. 
but they also had some differences. One man was shunned. He was seen as an untouchable and contagious, and it was backed up with use of Old Testament scriptures and the religious community. And the other was not contagious, but he was totally dependent upon others. That first man, the leper, was someone who had been rejected. He'd been ostracized because of his infectious disease, that disease that made his body inflamed and gave disfigurement and caused wasting away of those affected parts and even loss of his pain sensation due to the extensive nerve damage. I can imagine what the crowd did when he showed up. All their fears came to the surface. And what they probably wanted to do and did was back away. I can just see it being moved like you all are separated here on two sides. Let me get as far away from him because of what I might get what he has too. The second man is a paralytic. That means he was paralyzed, crippled, disabled, incapacitated, powerless, and useless. You know that because you've got four guys who are carrying him on a mat. He cannot do it on his own. For most people in that condition, they were probably treated as if they were invisible. And in that culture and at that time, being a leper or a paralytic, someone who's paralyzed, was often looked at as being cursed. And scripture, which I see the parallel sometimes even in our congregations, how we misuse scriptures to condemn the afflicted individuals like these men were. In other words, they blamed the victim. I've called attention to these two men today to demonstrate what can happen when someone who is in desperate need meets up with someone else who is moved with compassion. Because that's how Jesus treated them. He treated them with compassion. In other words, he really saw their condition. And he saw it without condemnation and moved towards them rather than moving away from them. As many of you know, I work with this ministry in the Covenant Churches called Advocacy for Victims of Abuse. And this was a call that I answered several years ago. I cannot tell you how many times I have been asked if I really think that churches have abuse and sexual assault victims within their congregations. You may laugh, however, it's a reality. There are many pastors who will never, ever preach a me message on abuse or sexual violence because they don't think it exists in their church. In fact, I've heard, like one pastor says, well, no one's ever come to me and talked about it. It's probably because he's never talked about it himself and given them a license to do so. Many people don't believe that this is a problem for the faith community. They feel it only affects the unchurched community. 
not us. Or if they do admit it exists, particularly domestic violence, they seem to see it as a woman's issue and assume that the woman has caused it to happen. I, I know a pastor who called in a, a woman that was very influential with the women's ministry in his church, and he said, I would like for you to talk to this woman. She and her husband are having problems. I'm paraphrasing this. He said, and I, I think you just need to talk to her to tell her that she just needs to be a better wife. And I was like, Okay. You know, unfortunately, this is not true. It is what I call the underbelly of the church. The statistics for domestic violence and childhood sexual assault are no different in the church than they are out. And that's a sad indictment, but it's a true one. And those stats are staggering. For example, here in the United States, I'm not talking about across the world, I'm just talking about in the U.S., every 15 seconds a woman is violated. She's battered. Two to four million women are abused each year, and the, the numbers are close for the men, too, even though we don't often talk about that. Approximately 4,000 women die every year from domestic violence. Three to 10 million of our children are exposed to domestic violence every year. That's cumulative. That's not like, oh, that's it. No, we add three to 10 more million a year. I mean, that's astounding to me. 30 to 60% of our children exposed to domestic violence are also physically and sexually abused each year. If this doesn't want to just make you want to stand up and scream, it then I think you're not quite alive. Over 40% of male and female high school students have been victims of dating violence at least one time. That's horrible. 15% of our teens, both male and female, have been reported, have reported that they've been victims of severe dating violence, being hit, hit kicked, thrown down, or attacked with a weapon. Where is our society heading today? 8% of our 8th and 9th graders have reported being victims of sexual violence when they're dating. 16 to 24-year-old women are, most, are the most highly victimized group. One in three women will experience abuse, rape, or physical assault in their lifetime. One in six men will experience physical abuse in their lifetime. And even this whole mystique around sexual assault, one out of four women and one out of six men have been sexually abused by the age of 18. And this last statistic just breaks my heart, which there are many more, I just picked out some. 60% of our male teens who are in prison for murder or for assault are there because they were trying to protect their mother from the violence of their perpetrator. Yes, we have a serious problem. 
I have talked to countless men and women within the church congregations in the United States and overseas who have been victims of domestic violence or childhood sexual assault. I cannot tell you how many suffer in silence, shame, anger, for the horrific things that they are currently or have endured. They are so fearful and brokenhearted and often feel ignored, dismissed, less than because of what the Christian community says or denies about this issue. Many have heard things from their partners and even good-intentioned church leaders, family members. You need to be just a better, what, wife. If you hadn't dressed like that, you wouldn't have had. If you were a better man, you'd know what to do. Or you're not good enough, good enough. Or someone says, it's my right to be this way. I'm the head of the household. And the list can go on and on. Like these two men in Scripture, their voices, their choices, their wills, their bodies have been silenced, denied, and overcome, and even used. I admit that I am one of those statistics. I was a victim of childhood sexual assault from the age of 6 to 17. The violence there stopped when I got pregnant by my stepfather. That's a story for another day. I suffered silently for 11 years during that violence from my stepfather. It was a hidden secret that I kept for years, despite the fact that I had given my life to Christ as a young child, despite the fact that I had gone through my baptism, despite the fact that I was teaching Sunday school and participating in Sunday school when I was a young teenager. I was fully engaged in youth ministry. I was singing in the choir. I was a leader in the church. I was even giving sermonettes as a young teenager. Never once did I ever hear it talked about from the pulpit or in my community of faith. Back then and even now, our churches have a dismal record of speaking out about this issue within their congregations. Perhaps we're quiet because we don't quite know what to say. Or we may deny the violence or any of its type within our midst. But unfortunately, domestic violence and childhood sexual assault is a real issue in our houses of faith. What do you think Jesus would say about that? What I've also found is that we have brothers, sisters, and children in our faith houses who are silent because they believe they won't be believed, or that people will abandon them, or that they'll be talked about, or you can fill in the blanks. I also know that many Christians are just simply paralyzed to do anything in this area because they don't know what to do. My challenge to you today is that we must, we have to move out of our comfort zones and begin to engage in the movement of breaking silence 
and becoming a welcoming community that is moved with compassion. In other words, we need to own that it exists within our community. And like Jesus, we have to confront it head on. This is where I take courage from this work, for this work. Jesus was never afraid to confront nor question beliefs and stereotypes. Scripture tells us that he, the Son of God, was moved with compassion when he saw the disease, the heartaches, and the difficulties of those around him. In reviewing the scripture, I find some principles that I believe should guide our responses. Now you may take your card out. <laughs> and on the back, this is such a beautiful piece. I, I'm sure that Rochelle did it. It's just absolutely beautiful. I want to frame it. Maybe it'll be a reminder. Frame it and be reminded. There are four things about compassion that I'd just like to underscore. The first is compassion is an attribute of God. That tells us a little bit about who we are. If we say we are what? God's children. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. That's who you are, and that's who I am, right? It's, I'm getting it from the Father. In 1 John, the third chapter, the 17th through the 20th verse in the message says, this is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to be, live sacrificially for our fellow believers. Did you hear that? We should live sacrificially for our fellow believers and not just be out for ourselves. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears. And you made it disappear. It's a heavy passage of scripture. The second thing is we are called to serve those who are marginalized. We don't get a pass. Sorry. There's no pass. We are called to serve those who are marginalized. In Matthew 25 and 40, it says, The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And then thirdly, the kingdom of God includes and welcomes poor, imprisoned, broken, and lost people. I love our church. The sign out there says, no perfect people allowed. That means that we welcome in the poor, those that are imprisoned. They're trapped in whatever is in their lives or may have happened in their past or is happening now, broken and lost people. In Luke 4 and 18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. 
And lastly, compassion truly implies more than acknowledgement. We could acknowledge it but not get involved. But it says in my thought and in my mind and in my heart from Scripture that compassion truly implies more than acknowledgement. It means we are to join with. We are to suffer with. We don't get a pass. In other words, it should be that I feel your pain. I may not fully understand it, but I am willing to enter into that with you. I'm willing to be moved by compassion. Sometimes we have to have that push us, that just that tug of the heart causes us to move into those waters that may be muddy or difficult. One of the hardest places that I've had to minister in has been our retirement centers. The, the Covenant churches have retirement centers all over the country. And I'll never forget the first time I had one of the chaplains call me and said, Yvonne, I need you to come and talk to our people that are here in this retirement community. I was like, okay. You know, he says, because I'm finding people that I'm working with as they're getting ready to cross over who have been suffering with pain and sorrow from the way they were treated as children. And they've carried this burden all their life. And they've asked the question, will he be there in heaven too? They're fearful of crossing over because their perpetrator, who may have repented but never done that with them, may be there. I've gone there to be a safe place for them to share their pain or seek help. I've listened to stories. I've seen people bring in pictures of the people who broke their hearts. They've got pictures. Think of that. These are people, their 60s, their 70s. And they want me to see the person who may have violated them. And these are people that have been in ministry. These are people who have been Christians. Brothers and sisters, I say this ought not to be named among us. The injuries to others and the lack of safe places for them to break silence and to be welcomed. Mother Teresa is one of my sheroes. We have sheroes, you brothers. She felt a call on her life to go, found the missionaries of charity to serve others, spreading compassion to communities where there was need. She pressed against the establishment to do the ministry she felt called to do. She helped to give voice to the marginalized of society, to give them dignity, to share in their suffering with an eye on helping whoever crossed her path. What about you? What have you been called to do to be a follower of Christ? We sing the songs, I sing them too, 
I'm, I'm just like you. There are days where it's like, okay, just give me a break. We sing the songs that say we are vessels, that we're instruments of Christ. We even read the scriptures and we pray prayers that we respond by saying, use me, Lord. But I wonder if we are willing to be part of the few who answer the call. For being a person of compassion is not for the faint of heart. It means that our loins have to be girt about with the truth. And sometimes truth-telling hurts. Sometimes truth-telling is off-putting. Having on the breastplate of righteousness and the gospel of truth. And above all, being moved with compassion to address the pain that resides right here in our midst. We have a small hope. Ava team here that's been meeting for over a year, praying that we could shed light on the issue of the violence that affects our community. Our dream is that our, your church is a safe sanctuary for anyone who may need to break silence, and that our church community, all of you, all of you, are a safe community for anyone who comes into this place to know that you will serve, you will pray for, for them and reach out with compassion and love. Next Saturday, we're having this event where people from community agencies will be here to come and tell us a bit about how they help victims of domestic violence. I don't want us to reinvent the wheel. I want us to know where there are things that others can receive from the community. But what we do, what we do, is stand in the place of what faith is and tell them what faith does and how Christians live and love them and support them and let them know we won't turn our backs on them. We'll have a few people here share their personal stories about overcoming abuse. And, and who knows, one day you may be faced with this in your own family or your friends. And our prayer is that you can compassionately help them to seek the assistance they need. You'll have opportunities to ask questions and get resources. Not only do we want to help people whose lives have been affected by this, but we want it to stop. But to take on this issue it means that it will take all of us to be willing to break the silence about the issue and do it, and I underscore this, with compassion and love. I just invite you to come so that you can get more information. Now, the final thing I'd like you to do this week is I'd like to challenge you to take some time to think about three things that you might do, three steps you might take to be more compassionate. Let's pray. Lord, we heard that song this morning, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. And we're loved by you. That's who we are. Lord, I just pray this morning that, that the things that have been said 
the songs that have been sung will soften our hearts, Lord, to be more like you in all of our ways. I pray that we will have compassion. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. Open our ears. That we might be the vessels that are used by you to emulate the life that you so profoundly showed us when you walked on this earth. Just let us be small pictures of who you are. Amen. Thank you, Vaughn.